Hey everyone, David Sylvan here again. As we've mentioned in the past and in earlier podcasts, we're going to begin rolling out some of the talks from our Health Voyager series. You've now become familiar with these. These are events that UH Ventures hosts. We bring in speakers, startups, educational insights, all from within the innovation ecosystem. Some of you had the opportunity to attend a couple of these last year. We had one in January. Uh, we titled that Startups versus the Opioid Crisis. The other one, which is actually going to be today's focus, is a new mini-podcast series called Call of the Wild, Biomimicry for Healthcare Innovation. This particular event was obviously live, so you're going to miss out on some of the fun animal videos. The audio may go up and down depending on how well our speakers were using the microphone, etc. But we still thought that the content was too good to keep on the shelf. So, episode one, without further ado, let's start with Trisha Brown, co-director of the Great Lakes Biomimicry. I'd like to introduce, to start and kick us off, Trisha Brown, co-director of Great Lakes Biomimicry. I invite you to learn more about uh, the Great Lakes Biomimicry uh, uh, organization by reading about them in our program or visiting their website. Uh, a great asset we have uh, local to, to Cleveland. When we shared about who we're partnering with, uh, to some of our folks back at University Hospitals, people were startled. Wow, I did not know that we have this tremendous uh, knowledge as well as uh, capability right here in Northeast Ohio. Please welcome Trisha Brown, who will explain what biomimicry is and why we should care, how biomimicry is important for us and the organizations in which we move, live, and have our being. Trisha. Good morning. We're so happy to be part of this and to be in front of all of you to talk about what's near and dear to our hearts, innovation through biomimicry. So the word biomimicry comes from two Greek words, bios, meaning life, and mimesis, meaning to imitate. And you may have run across different names, but it's all essentially the same thing. Some of these um, words are used in Europe and some just in different regions of the country, but it's all essentially and simply the same thing innovation inspired by nature. Biomimicry invites us to shift our perspective from looking at nature from a warehouse of raw materials and a <clears throat> waste receptacle to that of teacher. But nature as teacher, I mean, aren't us humans pretty clever? And haven't we engineered some pretty amazing solutions to some problems without nature's lessons? So what is so special about nature? Well, I ask you to spend the next two minutes watching a creature in nature that can do things that humans can come nowhere near engineering. Can you imagine if we could come anywhere close to that? What biological systems can offer us is 3.8 billion years of research, research and development. Because everything we see outside of us, everything that is in the natural world and biological systems, has strategies to keep it alive, it has strategies to thrive, has strategies that work. Because by submitting and adapting to the evolutionary pressures, it has resulted in resource efficiency, high performance, and differentiation, 
which can be seen in the beak of this toucan. I mean, look at that, given the size of the bird, there's something special going on there. Well, inside the toucan's beak is this intricate architecture of scaffolding that gives this beak strength without weight. So there's our resource efficiency, there's our high performance, and I don't think anybody can argue that this is differentiation by the looks of that. What all non-human biological systems have done is innovate within the context of Earth and submitted and adapted to Earth's operating conditions. These are non-negotiable, and they just are. So biomimicry is an innovation framework that's expressed through form, process, and system. Form is essentially shape, structure, and materials, and you generally think of as products. Process could be a manufacturing process or workflow, maintenance or distribution, and systems would be ecosystem function, networks, communication systems, and feedback loops. So an example of form is the bullet train in Japan, so-called because when it was first designed, it was designed like a bullet. So it would shoot through tunnels at high speed, and because of the shape of its nose, would push air in front of it. It would come out of the tunnel at a high speed with all that air exploding and making a very loud sonic boom-like noise at, at Earth level. And the problem is that would travel for up to 15 miles. So if you lived anywhere near these tunnels, it was untenable and very irritating to the people that live there. So clearly this needed to be redesigned. And on the design team was a scientist who was also a birder. And he noticed that the kingfisher beak was probably the reason why a kingfisher can go from air into water without a splash. And sure enough, if you look at the shape of this kingfisher's beak and the shape of the redesigned train, there's your biomimicry. So the air flows over the beak of the kingfisher and it also does of the train. So it's now going through the tunnels at 200 miles an hour, not pushing air in front of it, but the air is streaming over it. And this wasn't part of the design criteria, but it also goes 10% faster and runs on 15% uh, less electricity. An example of process is Southwest Airlines look to apply how ants forage for food because it's a highly efficient and highly effective method of getting to food and back without wasted time and energy. So by, do, by mimicking the ant foraging system, they were able to lower their transfer rates by as much as 80% in some airports and decreasing the workload by as much as 20% for an annual savings in labor costs of about $20 million. And on the system level, in 1994, Interface Flooring asked, had the vision to, ask, to go beyond net zero and really head towards a net gain or positive impact in their operations, and they asked a very interesting question. They asked if nature designed a factory, could it operate like a forest? Could it provide the same ecological services as a forest, such as could it pro produce as much clean air and water as the local ecosystem, and as much, much oxygen, and could it sequester as much carbon, and slow the flood water, and build as much fertile soil? So they first had to identify the local reference ecosystem and what those ecological services were, and then quantify them. I mean, if you can't quantify them after you have identified them, you don't know what your measurement's going to be. And then be, after that, they could create strategies for their design and then implement them. This became a powerful innovation framework for their design. And Interface is in the first phase of implementing that the design recommendations for their benchmark research and the discovery of their ecological performance standards. 
And as you can imagine, as you go up from form through process to system, <clears throat> this introduces increasing complexity. And that's not to say that biomimicry innovation at the form level isn't complex, because it is. And it absolutely requires and is essential to have a diversity of perspective and expertise at your innovation table. So clearly a biologist to do the interpretation and help with the research of what, the, what we're trying to do. A designer is very helpful because of the way they think and interpret and can communicate their thoughts. And someone from the business unit is helpful. And depending on the challenge itself, you might have someone from HR or purchasing or supply chain, depending on what you want to look at. And always we have somebody from engineering. We, because during and since the Industrial Revolution, our problem-solving space has been pretty narrow and pretty undifferentiated, and we've pretty much defaulted to engineering. So this is a graphic depiction of the inputs for human-engineered and natured-engineered solutions. And if you look on the x-axis is uh, size and scale, so it's from the nanometer all the way up to kilometer. And on the y-axis are the inputs for each given solution. Now they're not labeled right now, but just look at these charts and look at the stark difference between them. It's really obvious that the top one, which is, uses a lot of energy, which is the red, very little information, particularly at the micro and millimeter scale. And then if you look at the one below them, they're all pretty consistent across the scale. Well, you've probably guessed the top one is human-engineered solutions, the default to engineering since the Industrial Revolution, and the bottom is the way that nature solves challenges. So you might ask, so what? These are interesting. It's pretty cool to see the comparison between the two. But what difference does it make? Well, the difference that it makes is that our human-engineered solutions have given us a legacy that's not very pretty. This is what the 20th century systems have wrought. They're resistant to change. They're extractive. They create pollutions. There's a lot of extra garbage. It doesn't recycle. And I would venture to say that most of us on our way here today passed some example of this um, on our way. But what biomimicry can do is it can help usher us into this 21st century system where it's more complex, but it's optimized, and it's regenerative, and there aren't any long-term toxic effects from this. So how, this is what we get from our 20th century thinking. This is where we might move to our 21st century thinking. So how do we break this pattern? Well, it starts with asking different questions. It starts with asking 21st century questions. And that's asking how do biological systems solve for what it is we're looking at. We tend to ask questions in a way that an engineer, it's very clear, they can sit down and they can work on it. But if you back up a little bit and you bring that designer in and that biologist in and the other people with the different viewpoints and the different perspectives and you ask how is this already solved in nature, you open up an enormous solution space that we are not currently taking advantage of. And biomimicry is a powerful tool for innovation. And if you're not excited enough about those possibilities, biomimicry is an economic driver as well. In 2013, San Diego Zoo had asked the Fermanian Business Institute to do an economic analysis of what the impact biomimicry would have on both global and national GDP job growth, things like that. And the numbers are pretty impressive. What I love about this study is it also included what the savings are 
for mitigating natural resources and reducing CO2. That's not a usual thing you see in an economic report. And this is where biomimicry is leading the conversation. But the positive effect on the economic development is real and it's growing and it's right here. This is an example of companies in our region that are making a very direct investment in biomimicry by sponsoring a University of Akron PhD fellow for five years. They're making a five-year commitment to bring biomimicry into their doors and in their innovation process to start working toward these 21st century solutions. We have in the audience today a few of our uh, corporate sponsors, Smuckers here, Poly One, Gojo, US Endoscopy, and Bendex. So if you have questions later, maybe you can find them in the networking session and they can tell you more about their thought process of why. So I will leave you with this quote from Fortune Magazine. In March of 2017, they identified the trends to watch. Biomimicry was right up there. And they're saying, if you are not incorporating the most brilliant ideas from the natural world into what you sell, you're leaving money on the table. Thank you. Well, Tricia, thank you very much. Okay. Thanks for listening. That was part one of a four-part series. So please stay tuned for more over the next few weeks. Talk to you soon. Catch you next time.